0: Hi, this is Interviews 106. We are virtually flying to Australia as I am with Derek McManus, who describes himself as a counter-terrorism operative, hostage shooting survivor, motivational speaker, and human durability expert. Let me tell you a little bit about Derek before he does that himself. In <laughs> a former life, Derek was a police sniper recovery diver and trained by the military SAS in counter-terrorist operations. While on mission, he was, shot, he was shot 14 times, yes, one 4, 14, with a high-powered rifle and laid on the ground for three hours before being rescued. Doctors say he has defied the odds to survive his massive injuries. After two and a half years of physical rehabilitation, he returned to full duties a sniper, diver, and counter-terrorist operative. Today, he is a keynote speaker and a coach on a mission to help business leaders reach new heights in their organizations by building teams that can sustain optimal performance. So if you have been following me, you have heard me repeating that entrepreneurship is a mindset. It starts in the head first. One of the key critical skills entrepreneurs should develop is grit. Well, I think I find the perfect guest to talk about grid today. But before we do, make sure you log on my website and download your copy of my ebook, The Entrepreneur Mindset, seven tactics to avoid being the bottleneck in your business. You'll find the link in the show notes. Time for a short announcement. Entrepreneurs don't resist change. On the contrary, they embrace it. However, they do resist others pointing out their flaws and telling them what to do like they need to be fixed. This is why coaching is the perfect solution if you need help to overcome your challenges because you're never told what to do. Instead, you implement changes based on your own terms. Now you're an entrepreneur, so I understand you may not be able to commit the time and the budget that one-on-one coaching often requires. Therefore, I created 36550 basically it's a one year of unlimited 15-minute calls with me it's perfect if you'd like to get coaching but you have a limited budget or you don't want to engage in deep one-on-one sessions what's the catch no it's more about whether you have the right profile 36515 comes at a one-off fee of 1900 euros but I'm discounting it to €1,700, that is a €200 deduction just for you. So if you want it, log on my website, www.laurentnotin.com forward slash 365-15-registration, leave your contact details on the form and make sure you mention interviews cracking the entrepreneurship code so you can enjoy the discount. Once again, www.laurentnoton.com forward slash 365-15-registration. And now let's go back to the interview. Hello, Derek. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I've downloaded your book and I was very impressed.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So, I was reading this re- this introduction, and I'm like, whoa, what a badass. <laughs> tell, tell us a bit more about, about this extraordinary journey.
1: Okay, so I, it's the South Australian Police, um, and we call it the Star Group um, or Star Force, And the STAR stands for Special Task and Rescue, S-T-A-R, Special Task and Rescue. So it is the high-risk arrest, the hostage siege, Mm. counter-terrorism, helicopter operations, cliff rescue, cave rescue, mine rescue, uh, VIP security to the Queen when the Queen comes out, um, all that high-level stuff. Uh, It's the stuff that I absolutely love doing. It's that high-level adrenaline-filled Uh, challenge, and I love to take on a challenge. My mother sees it slightly differently to what I see it, but, yeah, I just love (laughs) what I do. Back in 1994, my section was asked to go and arrest a guy uh, in the country on a farm, and he had a warrant for 197 counts of fraud. You wouldn't normally associate um, fraud with this level of violence, but we knew this guy had a potential because of his... Uh, antecedents is his previous, his past Um, and so we went out there the star group were asked to go and arrest him we were wearing full police blue uniform Mm. uh, as well as what we call flak vests many people call them bulletproof vests but I can tell you right now they ain't bulletproof Um, we went there we knocked, we called, said that we were the police Um, he didn't answer the door but we had a sniper sitting in the bush for about the last 20 minutes uh, just watching him, watching the door. We knew he was inside. Uh, we knocked again, called again, again, no answer. At this stage, I've moved down the side of the house towards a glass sliding door to see whether we could make a more effective, efficient, and safer entry through that glass sliding door. Uh, and as I got to within about two feet of that sliding door, he started shooting, and I was the target. Right. He was using a Chinese military weapon uh 7.62 or 308 caliber um and he fired 18 times in less than five seconds and he hit me 14 times with either bullets or shrapnel
0: wow and then so you fell down i guess and then then what happened over there
1: okay so um when he first started shooting and and i wasn't sure how far you you wanted me to go but when he started shooting i had absolutely no idea i was being shot All I knew was I was falling to the ground. I hadn't felt any impact. I hadn't felt any pain. um, And I hadn't even heard the sound of gunfire. All I knew was I was falling to the ground. And me being a very pragmatic, um, safe operative uh, in the police force, um, I started cursing myself. How could I be so stupid as to be falling over? What if I tripped over? There's nothing slippery on the ground. And so I was cursing myself. uh, And as I was falling, having not felt any impact or pain, Um, I looked at the glass sliding door and there were small round holes that hadn't been there before. Uh, And then I heard the sound of gunfire. And as I'm falling, I've actually rationalized to myself, I must be falling because I'm getting shot. Mm. And as I was falling, I've actually gone through the rationalization of then saying, "Um, actually, Derek, you're you're abusing yourself at the moment. But to be quite honest, if you're getting shot, it's quite acceptable to to fall over. You should go easy on yourself just a little bit. Um, and that's what I thought before I hit the ground. I I fell on my back, and he was still shooting me. Bullets were still hitting me as I was lying on the ground. Uh, Two bullets hit my left thigh, and these are the only two bullets I can remember hitting me, Uh, and I remember them as vividly today as the day they hit me. Um, Time slowed right down. These two bullets seemed to take about 30 seconds to hit me, have their effect, and time to move on. The first one hit me and it was like a sledgehammer just driving into my thigh, and with the impact of that sh- uh, that sledgehammer, a shock wave went through my body all the way through to the top of my head, and then that shock wave came back down, but there was no pain associated with it. It was just mm. the impact and the shock wave. Um, and then I felt the second one hit me and again, it's that sledgehammer just driving into my thigh, shock wave up, shock wave down, um, seemingly 30 seconds. But it mm. happened in the space of time like that. The 18 bullets were all fired in less than five seconds. Wow. So these two were a very short period of time, but they seemed like 30 seconds. Um, I knew that I needed to fire back because that's the only thing that was going to stop him in my mind. Um, I couldn't see him because it was dark inside the house. Uh, the glass door was like a mirror with the sun shining on it. But I could hear the sound of where the shots are coming from now. And so I just fired back in that direction. But I was lying on my back and shooting along the length of my body. And at the other end of my body are my feet. Mm. And when you're lying on your back, your feet point up in the air. Mm. And I knew that I needed to get up just a little bit so that I could shoot over the top of my feet. Yeah, I've, I've got a flak vest on. I've got weaponry. I've got equipment. Um, and as I've lifted my upper body up, my feet have come up to counterbalance. And the thought that ran through my head before I pulled the trigger on that first bullet was I better not shoot myself in the foot because the guys at work would give me shit for the rest of my life. And that's literally the the thought that went through my mind. This wasn't a period of... And and it is, it's crazy. It's just crazy. But it it is no elaboration, no exaggeration there at all. Um, One of the reasons that I was able to have this level of cognition while in this massively stressful situation is that I had prepared myself physically For this situation, Mm. obviously being in star group, we're going into these situations all the time. They need us to be fit so we can carry heavy weights, run hard, be able to fight people uh, and still think at the same time. Um, I was mentally fit and that's the intellectual side. So I knew policy, procedure, practice, um, all those things that I needed to do to make things happen. But I'd also prepared myself emotionally. Uh, And the emotional preparation is the one that a lot of people just miss out on. Because when our emotions start getting involved, they drive our Mm behaviours. If we start getting highly emotional, then we can't make rational decisions. Uh, And there's a a model that I use where our um, emotions and our rational thinking sit on an even plane. Um, And while they're on an even plane, we can plan, we can create, we can uh, do problem solving, we can analyse, we can discuss, we can do all sorts of crazy things, right? But, when our emotions start going high, our rational thinking goes low. Now, you only have to reflect on when you get into an argument with your partner or with your children or with you know somebody that you work with. As soon as you get into that argument and it's not going well and you're starting to get emotional and they're not listening to you, they're not getting your message, they're barking at you, your emotions start to go high and then your level of thinking goes low. Yeah. And many times we come out of these arguments, we go afterwards when we calm down, we go, I should have said, why didn't I think of that? I knew I should have. Because our emotions are so high, our rational thinking's low. Mm. But I had prepared myself emotionally beforehand. And I said, when this happens to me, I need to find a way to bring the emotion back down, the rational thinking back up. Easiest way to do that is have some idea of what you're going to deal with, some idea of how you're going to deal with it, because then you've got a plan of action that's already there. And if you have planned it well and you've actually trained through it, And I took it to the extent that I visualised myself in a situation where I may be shot and injured um, and how do I handle that? What's my body going to want to do? What's my mind going to want to do? And I saw myself being able to manage it and having a good outcome. Um, A lot of people say, wow, that's a a level of training that I'd never be able to get to uh, because you were in the special forces type Mm -hmm. area. And I can tell you right now what it was was that I prepared myself for what I could realistically expect to encounter as a result of the choices that I had made. I made a choice to become a cop. I made a choice to go into the star group. I made a choice to become a sniper and a diver and counter-terrorist operative. I made a choice to go to this job on the day. So I, once I'm able to take responsibility for making the choice, take behavior, uh, responsibility for my behaviour, for the possible consequence, and then the future afterwards and mm. that future afterwards was if i get shot what do i want to do as a perfect response and this applies to anybody whether they're taking a job with a corporate who maybe has a great reputation but possibly managers in there that aren't nice people whether you take a job on a oil rig whether you take a job in mining sector whether you take a job as a teacher Everything comes with its own challenges. Even if you take a job as an accountant or you know, any of those professions, they come with their own risks. Yeah. And we need to have open, honest, confronting conversations about what's the risk? Am I prepared physically, mentally, and emotionally to manage those risks? And if I'm not, what do I do to prepare myself? So right. I had done all of that beforehand. But mm. and and so, it did happen so, to me. So is it,
0: is it what you're teaching today? To, to, to business
1: leaders? Yes, that's it. It's exactly what I'm, I'm teaching. Mm. And I teach this to business owners, to entrepreneurs, to banking and finance. I teach it to hairdressers. I teach it to kids in schools. So everything that I teach is understandable by kids in schools right. to apply to their challenges in the schoolyard, their homework, getting along with friends and family and parents and sport. But I also teach it to fighter pilots as well. Mm. It's the same concepts, just applied to their particular challenges. Mm. Right? It's come from my background in special forces and being able to manage challenges at that level. But that level can be anything for whoever you are. It's yeah. applicable across the board. It's a universal philosophy. Right, and you raise the bar quite high. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so, you
0: do have absolutely. <laughs>
1: And yeah, and it, the, the bar was high for me. There's no two ways about it. It, it yeah. was right up there. But what I do now is I make it applicable to anybody and everybody, depending on their situation. Because if you're in um, banking and finance and say you're a mortgage broker um, and you're talking to clients, those conversations can go well. Those conversations can go badly. If you don't know how to handle that bad conversation, you are not going to be able to retain clients. Mm. Oh, I prepare them for those challenges. And what if they don't get enough financing through the door? When do they start making decisions? I talk to hairdressers about their clients, about their employees, about their competitors. It's applicable to everybody. I've taken it out of an extreme situation. Mm, mm. And I've gone, what are the tools that I use to manage the extreme and how can they be applicable universally to kids in schools through to fighter pilots?
0: Right, so continuing on that topic and you were talking about uh, tools you also talk about
1: uh,
0: human durability can you tell us a little bit about that please
1: so human durability is a philosophy that i've created myself um and uh unless somebody knows me or has heard me talk you wouldn't have ever heard that term before in fact i have one of my clients going human durability oh let us think about that derek she went away and googled it and then had to read me back and say Okay, so you are the expert on human durability because nobody else does it. (laughs) Um, So human durability is the ability to go beyond resilience. Resilience Mm. is the ability to bounce back when things go wrong. Okay? It's a really important skill to have, and it's the first step to building durability. You have to be resilient. You need to know how to problem solve um, and bounce back after things go wrong. It's a powerful skill, but that's not where we want to live our life. You don't want to be living your life always going, oh, if a problem happens, I'll be able to fix it. And you go from problem to problem to problem. You want to get to a point where I describe human durability as the ability to sustain optimal performance. Mm. Optimal performance is the very best you can possibly do in the given circumstances. And it's optimal because sometimes it's peak performance because that's what you require. But peak performance cannot be sustained. If you try to sustain peak performance... That's going to learn out, uh, lead towards uh, burnout, anxiety, depression, um, and you know further things from there. So peak performance at certain times, but optimal also includes sometimes going away for a two-week holiday with your family so mm. you can replenish, refresh, re-energize, and then come back and re-engage. So what do you need to do at any particular time to be 100% reliable? And this optimal performance is when you are the master of your craft. It's when you're the expert and people come to you and say, teach me what you know, teach me how to be as good as you are. And we all get to this point at different times in our life. And once we get there, we then take on a new challenge. And so we slide back to needing resilience. Then we'll become better at that new challenge. We'll become the master of the craft. And then we'll go on to a new challenge again. The easiest way to understand this is if you started playing tennis Mm. And you start in D-grade in tennis. Um, when you first start, you don't know how to hit, so you get some coaching, some guidance, um, and they teach you how to play tennis. You become okay in D-grade, and so you're resilient. You're able to bounce back when things go wrong, and then you become the best in D-grade. You take out the best and fairest. You take out the, the winner. You take out all the accolades in D-grade, and you are the best. But what happens when you're the best in D-grade? They put you into C-grade. And when you go into C grade, you're no longer the best. Yeah. Right? You go back to middle of the road. You put in the time, the training, you become the best in C grade. You take out all the awards, you take out all the accolades, and then you go into B grade. Mm. Now, this happens for us all when we go through business as well. I was talking to some fighter pilots and talking about that growth process. Once you become the and these fighter pilots, they are the best of the best. Mm. The Americans call them top guns, and, and that's the name that most people associate. Uh, with, But they are the best of the best in their field. Um, But once they become the best of the best, they kind of think, now I've got to stay the best of the best. I can't be seen as vulnerable. I can't be seen as making a mistake. So when they take on a challenge and they've got some new learnings, it becomes a mental challenge as well. People are going to think I'm weak. People are going to think I'm broken. People aren't going to think I'm the best of the best anymore because I'm making some mistakes. But it's a natural process. And if you engage in that and train that, you'll become the best of the best at this new level. Mm. Okay. Um, One of the fighter pilots said to me, um, does this happen for everybody? I said, yes. Psychiatrists, psychologists all agree. This is a natural process we all go through. And he said, oh, thank goodness for that. I thought it was just me. And that's Mm. the way we all look at it. When we become good and then we become, take on a new challenge and become resilient again, we start doubting ourselves. Oh, my gosh, how are people going to judge me? Are they going to think, am I good enough to be able to do this? So just understanding this process and then the human durability model that I've got to help build that confidence and build the skills um, just makes it easier to go through that growth process and accelerate it. Mm. So you, become, you take on a challenge, you become better again quicker
0: than mm. trying to fight
1: the process and trying to hide your mistakes. It's
0: interesting what you're saying about the 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 fighter pilot. You know, is this only about is it only me? Because this is a conversation I have, or things that I've I'm hearing all the time in the conversation that I have with uh, my uh, my clients, entrepreneurs. They all think that you know it's only happened to them, and often when you tell them about others, others that have had exactly the same type of experience, they feel so
1: relief. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I call it. I honestly think all I'm doing is normalising the conversation inside your head, and that's obviously what you're doing with your Mm. clients as well. As soon as you normalise that conversation, you're no longer fighting inside your head. You can focus outside and you can grow. Whereas you're still trying to fight inside your head and go, oh, I shouldn't look this stupid. Nobody else does it this way. Then you're fighting inside your head as well as trying to grow your business. Yeah. As soon as you find, oh, everybody goes through this, it's a normal process. It's still a hard process to go through, right? You've still got to be doing the bouncing back. You've got to be doing the problem solving, but it's the external stuff, not the internal personal stuff that you're finding. Mm-hmm.
0: With. Let's be a, a bit uh, practical, if you don't mind. And um, could, you, could you share some examples uh, of the work that you've done with entrepreneurs or business owners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you say, the biggest challenge that people have is doubting themselves. So... Um, I work with two different models of resilience for people. Mm. Um, There are people starting businesses, growing businesses, um, and scaling their business. And they need to have two different levels of resilience. The first level of resilience, I believe, is functional resilience. And this is the resilience we need to be able to get through the day-to-day stuff the drudgery that drains our energy, but it's the process we have to, it's the boring stuff uh, that we have to, it's the um, checking the finances and all those little Mm. bits and pieces that keep the business going. Uh, And that's what I call functional resilience. And then there's the aspirational resilience, which is growth. So most people um, think there's just one model of resilience. The functional resilience, that's about making sure you get sleep and nutrition. It's about making sure you have Meaningful connections, like we all have this massive social circle, yeah. and then we have our close friends, and then we have this really tight group of meaningful connections who are people who look after you, who have got your back, and we need to nurture these because once we get into that process of growing, scaling, or or creating, um, we are so caught up in that process that we don't have time to connect with everybody. Uh, We start having doubts inside our minds. We start having challenges we haven't dealt with before. It's the meaningful connections that are going to make you feel as if you still have the strength. They've got your back. They're looking after you. Um, You have to have empathy for yourself and empathy for others. Empathy Mm. for yourself, that's compassion, obviously. But you need to understand we make mistakes and things go wrong. You need to understand that other people make mistakes. Most of the time that people make mistakes, it's not deliberate. They just either lack the resources or lack the insight, or maybe they've made a mistake, or they don't have as much patience. As soon as we start having empathy for, maybe there's something going on in the world. I don't understand what it is. It's really annoyed me, but maybe it's a problem they're going through. Instantly, the stress that you're experiencing drops. Yeah. Yes, they've still got to be accountable for behavior, but that empathy for them lowers your stress levels and naturally you put that problem aside now you're not worried about it anymore and you're able to focus on what you want to um vigorous activity as soon as you become an entrepreneur that's one of the things that goes by the wayside because you're so focused on your business that you don't have time to exercise you don't have time to get out you don't even have time to walk the dog quite often Mm -hmm. but the more that we engage in vigorous exercise and that's not Exercise at my level, where it's an extreme, it's just being active. Yeah. But it's got to be enough to raise your heart rate. Um, The psychological, physical benefits from that allow you to drive even more energy into your business. Um, Entrepreneurs going into business also forget to enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of work that needs to go into business and building it and growing it and problem solving and dealing with staff and where's the finance come from. And certainly in the startup phase of a business, um, it's just drive, drive, drive. And we forget to enjoy ourselves. Enjoy ourselves doesn't mean going away for two weeks on a holiday. As a startup business, you can rarely do that for the first probably couple of years, depending on your business. Um, but we need to be able to take an hour out and spend some time with the kids. Yes. We need to be able to take an hour out and just go and walk and take a break from the business. Uh, We need to be able to spend some time with our family is one of those things that really suffers Mm -hmm. in the startup of the business, but we need to be able to take time out guilt-free to make sure we nurture those things. Family in particular is that inner circle, that meaningful connection. The people who have really got your back, but we also need to uh, occasionally indulge ourselves in food as well. Like uh, I love my chocolate, and you know, being an extremely fit person, I I still ride my bike hundred kilometers on a Saturday morning. So that's uh, hundred kilometers or sixty miles for those who are, uh, are working in metro in Imperial uh, on a Saturday morning. So I, I'm, you know, that's my indulgence. Um, but I still eat a lot of chocolate as well, but I keep
0: that balance. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying ice cream. It's summertime awesome. now here in Europe.
1: Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we've got to be able to do that guilt-free because yeah. there are sometimes I'm just exhausted and I just feel like having a little bit of pleasure. Do that guilt-free, enjoy it, and then get back into your routine as mm. well. Right? So sleep and nutrition, number one, meaningful connections, compassion for yourself, empathy for other people, vigorous activity, indulge yourself. And when you can do those five, you can then come back to your challenges and you'll probably reframe them. That challenge will not be as big as it was before. Sometimes when we've had that time to sit back and relax, we go, there's the answer. There it is. It was staring me in the face all the time. I just didn't see it. When our emotions go high and our rational thinking goes low, we're not thinking well. We're not able to see all the opportunities or possibilities. Bring the emotion back down. Relax a little bit. The level of cognition comes back up again. Mm. Um, And I call that model of functional, being able to refresh, replenish, re-energize, and then re-engage. And that's re-engage and reframe. And that's what we need to do for that drudgery, that that big startup. Um, But there's also a phase where you actually want to keep on pushing. Mm-hmm. And this is where entrepreneurs are, um, and they do want to keep on pushing. So the, the second model of resilience that I have is what I call aspirational resilience. Mm-hmm. This is the stuff that we need to have to be able to keep on pushing, uh, overcome that mindset of, I'm an idiot, I'm the only one going through this. Um, nobody else is doing it this way. I can't talk to people because they'll think I'm stupid. When we're entrepreneurial and we can share our ideas and get more ideas in, it's invaluable because sometimes those ideas will just be that solution we need or fire up an idea. So another six steps for fun, uh, for um aspirational resilience. Uh, and the first one is challenge the inner critic. And challenging the inner critic is the voice inside your head. It's not about silencing the inner critic, mm. right? Because sometimes we just want to drown it out and get rid of it. But sometimes that inner critic is actually your best friend. It's saying, Hey, have you really looked at your finance? Hey, have you really looked at the skill and the expertise within your organization? It's probably not there. But there's sometimes that inner critic is just not hindering helping yeah. you at all. Or like, it's, hey,
0: it's time to get out of to
1: get up <laughs> and, and do some yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but sometimes that inner critic saying you can't do that because other people will call you an idiot. Yeah. Right? But generally you can do it. It's just those other people who call you an idiot because they're too scared to do it or they don't have the skills to do it themselves. Cool. So you've got to challenge the inner critic. Mm. Um, you've got also got to understand that as much as there's the negative critic, there's the other critic inside your head, and that that's sorry, not critic. Uh, there's the other voice inside your head that is the voice of support. You wouldn't be trying to do what you're doing or thinking about doing what you're doing if there wasn't some idea in your mind that you had some chance of being able to do it, mm. and. This voice of support is also challenging the inner critic. The critic is challenging that voice um, of support. And I say that there's a third brain that we have, and that third brain sits above and looks down and is going, "Are oh, you having that conversation again. <laughs> and you would see every entrepreneur has this conversation. Yes, you can. No, you can't. You're an idiot. Yeah, but you've done this before. Yeah, but what if this one goes wrong? Yeah, but you've been able to overcome that. We we have these conversations all the time. And as we said before, it's normalizing that conversation. I'm not the only one that has this. Everybody does it. Yeah. But let's challenge it. The first way to challenge it uh, is practice self-appreciation. Listen to this voice of support and say, yeah, I have done things well before. But it doesn't have to be the massive things. It can be just the little things. Mm. I reflect I reflect on my shooting, and, and it's a really good example for people. Um that as I was coming through my rehabilitation, um, I had such massive injuries. I had bandages on every part of my body, every limb, my left forearm, my right wrist, my left thigh, my right Achilles tendon, my torso, uh, bandages and everything. I wasn't able to even pick up a pen or a a knife and fork or anything. I had to have people do stuff for me because I couldn't control it. Um, I could do large motor skills, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't do the finite motor skills. Um, So at one point, I started being able to move my little finger. And once I started being able to move my little finger, I started getting excited because this, for me, was a sign that things were starting to progress. Mm -hmm. I was starting to get control back again. And I got excited about moving my little finger. People were coming in to visit me, and I was going, look, look, I can move my little finger. And I'm sure people were looking at me and going, yeah, right. (laughs) Start (laughs) walking when you start to run that's when I'll get excited yeah but this is a sign that things were happening things were starting to move in the direction I wanted them to move mm. and if I didn't get excited about that I wouldn't have got excited about trying to move the next one I wouldn't have had that drive that internal belief things are starting to happen so as entrepreneurs we need to start looking at what are the little things that are going well yeah step we up to do the that little one. thing well we can repeat that little thing and repeat it again, and once we get really good at that little thing, then we take on the next one. That, like, that, may, that process may take three or four minutes. It may take three four hours, three four days, whatever it is, mm. but it's progress forward. So we've got to practice self-appreciation for the things that we're doing well. Mm. Okay? We've got to draw strength from that success because that success has a process. Mm. It did things in a certain manner to make that happen. Okay. when you can repeat the process for each level of the challenge, that gives you a process that you go, this is what works for me. It may not work for the guy next door to you. The other person on the other side may say you're an idiot doing it that way, but it's your process. It works for you. So you've got to immerse yourself and draw strength from the successes you've had. We've got to be great at what we do best too. We all look at, I'm starting a business. Oh, my gosh, they're great at finance. I should be able to do finance like them. They're great at their marketing. If I could market, we're not great at everything. But there is something you are good at, Mm -hmm. and you need to be great at it. Mm. Most of the time, we've got that little end of credit going, yeah, I know you can do it well, but you're an idiot. So if this idiot can do it well, everybody can do it better than me. We've got to understand what we do well. And then just leverage the absolute living daylights out of that. I was going to use different language there, but I caught myself. I was going to almost swear. Uh, we've got to leverage that, right? We've whatever you're good at, you've got to leverage it. Make the most of it. It's what got you to where you are. It's, it's the reason why you want to do what you do yeah. uh, or you're going to do. So you've got to be great at what you do best. Yes, look at you know, getting better in all those other areas, but leverage what you do well. Um Accept compliments. This is a challenge for a lot of people. Because when people say, oh, you're doing amazingly, in the back of your mind, you're going, yeah, but I stuffed that up and this is going wrong. And I know that I've got that challenge over there. But we've got to accept the compliments because this helps us understand where our strengths are coming from. Um, It also helps us when things do go wrong. And some people are saying, oh, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? If we remember that people over here have given us compliments, we know that we've done some things well. Rather than just focusing on the negative, remember those compliments. It gives you a sense of satisfaction. And if you do make a mistake, and if you're working for a boss in particular, um, if you do make a mistake and somebody's given you a hard time for it, then you're able to reflect back and go, ah, but I've done that well before, I've done that well before. Eventually they'll know that this is an aberration in my performance and I will improve again. Yeah, the way
0: the way you said uh, accept compliments, I felt that you were also talking about yourself. <laughs> I felt that it was like a, a lesson that you learned
1: for you, for yourself. Oh I me, mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely a lesson that I learned um, because I was one of those people who doubted myself. I looked around. I was in Star Group, right? And in Star Group, um, these are elite athletes, mm-hmm. elite intellectual guys elite planners strategizers and that's not me i'm not elite in any of my performance but i was able to get into this and people go oh wow you're in star group and i'm going yeah but i'm the bottom of the rung in star group these all guys are better than me and then i started realizing i was actually in star group to get into star group i had to pass so many tests and prove myself physically, intellectually, planning, associating, overcoming problems. So I was already operating at a high level. There's better people than me, but I was operating at that high level myself, and I needed to be able to accept those compliments and rem- remember that because that gave me the courage to take on that next challenge rather than just going, oh, well, they're better than me. I'm just going to bask in their glory. But But the compliments also come from us as well. That little voice of support, mm. you know. There's those internal compliments, Derek. You've done a great job. Yeah, actually, I have. Yeah, yeah, true. And draw strength on that success and all those things. Um, well,
0: uh, so, but, sorry, um, I want to talk a little bit about you as an entrepreneur.
1: Why did you become an entrepreneur? Um, I I described it as I'm a Entrepreneur, because I was dragged kicking and screaming into this space. Mm. Um, I after the shooting, people said to me, Oh wow, your thinking is just amazing. You have to come and tell people about that. And the not accepting compliments, not practicing self-appreciation, not knowing what I was good at. I was I used to say, Me? No. Yes, I've overcome a big injury, but I can't teach anybody anything. There's nothing in what I've done or what I've learned that I can teach people. And I I refused it. Um, but I used a whole lot of blood, uh, donated blood. Body holds 10 units of blood. People donated blood uh, you know, generally. And I used 24 units of blood in seven hours. Body only holds uh-huh. 10 units. So 24 units are used. Uh, the blood service came to me and said, would you like to tell your story and say thank you to blood donors? because they could really use uh, the experience of hearing somebody who's survived because of their efforts. And I've gone sensational. I could tell that story all day long to say, thank you. Mm. So I'm not going to try and teach them anything. I'm just going to let them know that their efforts helped me and say, thank you for it. And once I started doing that, people came to me and said, you've changed my mind. You've changed my attitude. You've changed my belief. Um, I need my daughter to hear this. I need my son. And I'm going, what is it? And then I started learning that there was so much from my experience that people could use in their lives because it I I do everything I can to make it universally applicable to whoever I'm talking to. Mm. And once I started realising that I could make a difference with the words and the thoughts that I had, I started building a business around it. I didn't want to but it would naturally drew me in. And I love it. I absolutely love, I love being able to thank people. I love being able to help people. Um, But I don't want to be seen as standing on stage as, look at me, I'm the hero. I'm great. You should listen to me because Mm -hmm. I'm wonderful. I don't want that at all. But if I can help people with my insights and my uh, style of thinking, love it. So I've now got a business that goes all around the world. I've been to America. I've been to... Singapore and spoken to a 4,000-person audience in Singapore. and Wow. Yeah, so. So what's, uh, the, what's the legacy you, you, you want to leave behind you? Clearer thinking mm. and more belief in ourselves. Belief that we can actually achieve what we want to achieve. Um, but the the other side of that legacy is part of it is entrepreneurial growth for anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter what you want to, to do. But the other side of it is to be able to do it with less stress. Hmm. So improve our mental health at the same time. Uh, One of the things that came out of this was that um, five days after the shooting, I threw my hand in the air and said, get me a psych. I want to talk to a psych. Because I wanted to pick his brain or their brain, could have been a lady, um, about what might I experience in the future. And if I do experience it, how might I be able to deal with it? And this is entrepreneurial thinking. It's not about, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to do it myself and I won't take advice because I don't want to share my ideas. This is about, let me talk to people who have seen the insights into the challenges I might face and let me learn from them. So I went and spoke to a psych. Um, Everybody expected that as a result of being shot 14 times, lying on the ground for three hours with massive injuries, losing so much blood, I saw the white light because I'd lost so much blood, my vision just went to a pure white. Um, I was within thirty seconds of death, according to the doctor, and he describes it. He witnessed me taking my last gasping breath oh. um, yeah it, it it you know for some people, that would be very, very confronting um and and it was to me, but you know I had a different way of looking at these things. Um, So people anticipated that going through this experience and having such massive injuries that took me two and a half years to overcome my injuries, then I should have psychological damage and I should be in psych therapy for decades afterwards. Mm. Just don't get over this without some sort of psych damage. Uh, But I threw my hand in the air and said, get me a psych. Uh, I spoke to the psychiatrist just three months after the shooting. And in the first meeting, he said, Derek, psychologically, you can go back to work tomorrow. And you never need to come back and see me again. Now, I was comfortable with that, but I've spoken to other people afterwards and they've gone, no, no, that's not possible. He couldn't have been a very good psychiatrist. He he couldn't have made a really good assessment. He was one of the best in Australia and is world-renowned for major trauma. Um, And it's from this discussion with this psychiatrist that this insight into how I think... and. How I prepare things has come from. And and that's what I want to share with people. We can achieve things at higher levels with less stress. As soon as we start normalizing the conversation inside our head and having, I like to talk about taking four levels of responsibility, Mm -hmm. and every entrepreneur should do this. It's a responsibility for our choice, it's a responsibility for our actions or our behaviors. It's then a responsibility for consequence. And we've got to take responsibility for the negative consequence as well as the positive consequence. I'll come back and talk about negative and positive in, in just a minute. But we've got to take responsibility for choice, action, consequence, and then the future afterwards. Mm. If we get the consequence, what's the future afterwards going to look like? And how do we manage that? But well, we've got to take, go through that process of taking responsibility before we actually make the choice. So we will consider those uh, choices and we'll say, if I take that choice, what's the behaviour, what's the consequence, what's the future afterwards? Okay, if there's this choice, what's that choice, behaviour, consequence, Mm. future? Um, And if we take it beforehand, then nothing should really come as a massive surprise to us because the biggest challenge for us um, uh, logistically as well as mentally is, oh, my God, I didn't know this was coming. I don't know what to do. Mm. We start to get overwhelmed. Our emotions go high. Our rational thinking goes low. And that's when we make stupid decisions or take stupid action rather than having it all in place and being able to go, oh, let me think about this. Problem solve it, contemplate it, analyse it, and come up with the solution that's going to be best. Mm. So my legacy is I want people to achieve more with less stress.
0: Fascinating, Derek. I mean, I'm going to take you know, sometime and reflect about the conversation for myself. <laughs> then I come back to you and tell you what I've learned from it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, the consequences of uh, my learning. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Okay. Before you have that consequences, what might the, the response be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is the same process. Just Just thinking about what you just said there. This is the same process that is used If you're you're an entrepreneur and you're going into um, a meeting with a possible funding agency, a benefactor, whatever it is, let's have a thought about what's that conversation going to be, right? My choice is I'm going to have a conversation around this. What's my behaviour going to be? So what's the conversation? How am I going to be able to manage it? What's a possible consequence? Positive and negative, and depending on what they are, how do I then respond? If it's a great response, excellent. How do we celebrate it? If it's a negative response, what's the conversation I have to bring it back on track? Or if I can't bring it back on track, what do I then do afterwards to engage with somebody else? Mm. It is a conversation that we need to have about just the conversations, as well as putting business practices into place or taking risks or whatever it might be. Well, our conversation definitely reinforces
0: what I think that entrepreneurship is a mindset. It starts in your head. That's it. <laughs> Technical skills, of course, absolutely not as important as not as critical as your mindset. No, absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you very much uh, for, for your time, Derek. Today, one one last question: How can people contact you?
1: Certainly, the social media. So long as you get the spelling of my name right, um, <laughs> the social media are out there. Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. All right. Um, I like to be active on LinkedIn. I'll be monitoring that. Um, my website uh, is either humandurability.com.au or just Um And just connect with me. And even if you just want some information without any uh, commercial interest at all, if you want some information, send me an email. Happy to send some information out and give you a little bit more insight.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you again, Derek, for your
1: time today. Absolute pleasure. Been wonderful talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this show, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform so you can
1: help inspire more entrepreneurs. See you next time. Bye. Thank you.